0: This morning we're talking again about image, and we're talking about capacity and obedience, right? The thoughts that I had this morning uh, pertaining to capacity and obedience were really amazing things because the capacity that we have, literally, is Christ in us. What kind of capacity is that? It's limitless, it's limitless. He is eternal life in us in 1 John five eleven. That is limitless potential and limitless growth. Even when we see him in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, you know, for now we see through a glass darkly. Now everything about us is absolute faith dependence and obedience to the revealed will of God through the word. It's everything about us, and we know in part because we're growing in 2 Peter 3.18. We're growing In the capacity that we truly already are in Christ. That's our position. So our proper position is a proper capacity. And when I function in it through the submission of my will, I experience a what? A proper image. And I learn to not identify with anything other in my life than Christ. That's what he's doing here. And that's what he gives us the opportunity to. So even when it says in Hebrews 10, verse 25, not forsaking, it just simply means, listen, if God gives us the opportunity, and he does, will he give me the grace to go forward to the opportunity? I mean, the only way we can go forward is through his grace. And what is is it that is flowing through His grace. It is Romans 5, 5. It is His love that He constantly wants to pour out on us because He is, God is what? God is love. That's all He is towards us. And that's all, and that our obedience, as we've been been taught through the Word, is just simply, what? Returning that love. And in that return, what do we have? We have fellowship with the, and because God has given me the proper image, to be able to fellowship. And we have that. And it's really, really beautiful. I mean, honestly, it even, even when we get into, and some think of, uh, again, uh, you know, in terms of things, like Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's what Genesis literally is. It's the book of beginnings. Yeah, but it's the beginnings in time. <laughs> right? There always is the Son of God, the Word, in John 1, verse 1. So he who is eternity and has eternal life and inhabits it had no beginning. But we have a beginning. And of course, that's when God begins in us, truly. The moment we receive Christ, he begins in us. Now, even when you read and when I read Genesis, the first chapter, look at what it says. Because when it says in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What's that? The earth, in terms of that physical, that little dust ball. Okay? And he created that long before he created Adam. Long before that. See? But he created the heaven and the earth. Okay. And the earth was what? Without form. And would God create anything that would, wouldn't have a proper form or design? Of course he wouldn't. And then it said, and it was void. He mean he would create something for no reason, empty, void, of course he wouldn't. And, and what? And darkness was, uh, was upon the face of the deep. Something had happened in between there in Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, and that was the angelic revolt. And we're not gonna get into that right now, but we're just getting an understanding of the scriptures. So in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, verses 15, right through to to the 20s, we see that was the angelic revolt that had happened. That was in eternity. So in that beginning, at some point in eternity, God, of course, he created a, a, a heaven and the earth, and then he created a whole host of angels a third of which are now fallen, and they, they are the demons and, and, and so forth. But two-thirds still worship and serve him. So and then look at verse the rest of verse 2. It says, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, moved upon the face of the waters. So listen, when it says the Holy Spirit is moving, So we can understand, we we need to understand when we read 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter in verses verses six and 11, God is gonna teach us as Christians, as those that are in Christ, He's gonna teach us and continually teach us, not only with the things that we have in the new covenant, right? but He's gonna teach us through what happened, what God did and what He did in and through others in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He's going to continue to teach us. And so when it says here that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit, he moved upon the face of the waters. And look what it says, and God said. So you see, you see the whole, here you see the whole Trinity in active, in action, (laughs) creating. And so, and then look what it says, and God said. And that's what I want us and and I believe God would have us to focus on. God said, when God says something, does he say it without purpose? Does he speak? Does what God says, is God, is the word that God speaks, is it separate from his very nature, character, and essence? So when God speaks, he speaks from who he is. It's revealing his nature. And what God says. Since it's his essence, his nature, and character, does that make it essential for us to receive it and obey it? God does not speak randomly. His thoughts, as we've, been, we've learned from the word random, are not scattered. They're not random. They're not everywhere. He has a precise order. And that's what we receive. God gives us precise order and counsel when we come and when we're available. When we come, and honestly, when we come with submitted wills, and of course, you know when that happens, right? The best time for it to happen is even before we come. Preparation, discipline, and being prepared. And then sometimes, you know, when we don't, God will be gracious. We can still do it in an instant. We can. But look what it says. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the, of the waters, and God said. What's that a type of? You know what Jesus said in John six sixty three. You know when God speaks, he speaks a word. Isn't that the Son in John 1, verse 1? The word of God. And is it ever active apart from God the Holy Spirit? No, because Jesus said in John six sixty three, he said this. He said, the flesh profits what? Nothing. There's no thing that the flesh will go after outside of Christ that it will be of any profit, any value. Instantly. Even if it's God's things that he created for our good, we go after them and not him, they lose their value. They lose their value instantly. Instantly. It is the, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that what? So John 6:63 the it is the Spirit, right? The flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak unto, they are what? Spirit, and they are, that's the Holy Spirit, and they are life. Do you see how it works? That's what God's constantly doing with us here. That's why when we, we have a human spirit, the moment we received Christ, as I say, the moment we did, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. So that the Holy Spirit in the sealing there is 2 Corinthians 1, verses, verse 22. It is 2 Corinthians 5, verse verse 5 and it is Ephesians 1 13 and 14. The moment we received Christ what a capacity we had and we were sealed. Sealing speaks of proof of ownership and it goes into a number of different things which we won't go into this morning specifically. But that was the promise that Jesus promised of the other comforter in John 14 verse 16 that we would have and it would be the spirit of what? Truth. right, huh? John John 14, verse 17, the spirit of truth. Who is truth? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the Holy Spirit is constantly taking the things of Christ for the believer and in their submitted capacity showing them Christ in them and who they are in him. And that's John 16, verses 13 and 14. He is constantly guiding us. Do we need to be guided Can we we make it on our own? Can we make a proper one single decision apart from complete submission to God? So Jesus said, I am. He's, He's the great I am. Way back in even in Exodus 3, verse 14. He's the I am. That same one that's speaking to Moses, telling him who he is. Telling him, and it's necessary for God to tell us who he is. Right? And, and necessary to tell us who we are. Because if, we, if he doesn't do both with a submitted will, what are we left to? Our own understanding. And what is that usually in Proverbs 3, 5, when we don't trust him? We don't trust his leading. We don't trust his guidance. So it says, even in the types here. So God said, so God is speaking. Does God speak outside the word? Who is the Word? Who is the full thought of God? It's Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. See how these things work? And so God saw the light that it was what? Good. Who is the light? In John 8, 12. Is it Jesus? He said, I am. I am. The light of the world. He that walks after me, in other words, allows his life to be governed through submission and obedience in a beautiful capacity, reflecting a proper image, will not walk in darkness, but will have, experientially, the light of life. Because he is that. He is that in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And so it says this, God saw that the light, that it was what? Good. Where's all goodness located? Is it in the flesh? We just... So I just revealed it to us in John 6:63. 6, it's not in the flesh. It's not. And I know Paul said, he said through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit speaking and teaching him like he's teaching us this morning in Romans 7:18, I know in me that's me separated in the flesh. That is in my flesh dwells what? No good thing. Again, that goes back to Genesis 6, verse 5, and Genesis 8, verse 21. Not only the thought of the flesh in the believer that we're not of. Listen, we are not of the flesh. We are of Christ. The flesh may be in us, but we're not of it. And he's separating it. And sometimes, you know, when there's an operation and there's going to be pain involved, but it's for our benefit. And that's the sword The scalpel of God, the Word in Hebrews 4, verse 12, that does the separating. We're going to see even here, he separated things. It was the whole principle of separation, even here in Genesis, the first chapter. So God saw that it was good, and God divided the light and the darkness. What did he do? He separated it. He has to separate the darkness of the flesh and the believer. Because we will continually allow that to be our guide if we don't have light. And we won't have it if we don't submit. Listen, we have this great capacity. Okay, And then the word comes, and maybe there were areas of ignorance or even rebellion, but when the word comes, the light shines. The light shines and says, here, submit. And when I do... When I do, and has God given me the capacity to do so by the pure grace that Christ is in me? He has. And when I do that, when when I obey, God can bless. But listen, God does not and cannot bless beyond an obedient capacity in any stage of growth. He just can't. He has to wait to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18, but there's no question about it. He cannot bless experientially. Multitudes, multitudes of Christians today do not have a proper experience, an image, an identity of their position in Christ. They just don't. Maybe it's because they were never taught. Maybe it's because there was bad teaching. Maybe it was because when they knew the truth, They, and the truth about who they were in Christ and Christ in them, they resisted it. See, can God bless beyond capacity? He can't. Why does he want us to obey? Because he loves us. And that's our love returned. And then we have something in common. Having in common speaks of fellowship, that Greek word, kinonia. So, God divided, he separated the light from the darkness, Wow. And God called the light, what? Day. Do you see where it says that? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. And God called the light day. Could it be that he even had in his mind for the believer in Christ, 2 Peter 1, verse 19, should the day dawn. What's the day dawn in that sense? A proper image. But yet I resist the facts and reality of who I am in Christ and my position through disobedience. Through disobedience. Wow, why do we resist him? The why is the equal to the flesh. It just is. And we're learning obedience. And he's constantly teaching us who we are. And so, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Night night. Do you, do you remember what Jesus said in John 9 verse 4? Listen to what it says and I'll read it to you in John 9 John chapter 9 verse 4 I must work the works of him that sent me. Whose works is he working? Is he one with the Father and the Father with the Son? Are they one in John ten thirty, They are. I must work the works of him that sent me. Who? did all the work for you and I and finished it on Calvary in John 19, verse 30. He did. Our proper position is receiving. Receiving comes from obedience and submission to God's loving us in our experience, which is the equal of our position in Christ. What's that mean? He wants to love us just like he loves Christ. Is there any spot in his son that he did not deal with? And he did with all of it. He finished it again in John 19, verse 30. I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is what? Day. What's God doing right now? What are the opportunities that we have? Do I have to come? No. No. But if he draws you and tells you, then don't forsake it because he has things for you. He has portions and grace for you. As you submit to it, and I submit to it, to bless us. And can we go forward experientially without a blessing? Without God giving giving us something, adding to us, and then through that blessing, multiplying us. And so I must work the works of him that sent me while it is the day. This is the day where he wants, in 2 Peter 1.19, the day to dawn on us. That's Christ, the light, in every area that we submit to. Every single area we submit to him, right? The light, the night comes when no man can work. Do you see that? He separated. He's separating back here in Genesis 1, verse 5. He's separating, and he did in 1, 4, and 5, the night, the day from the night, the light from the darkness. He's separating the darkness of the flesh and the believer. And show them who they are in the light of their proper character in 1 John 1, verse 7. And again, that doesn't speak of our behavior, our conduct. It speaks of our proper character. And we experience our proper character through obedience. Because we have a capacity to do so. Because that capacity is Christ in us. And when we submit to him, in whom we are positioned, when we submit to him in our experience, what do we experience? blessing. And in that blessing comes the substance, right? To go forward. Always to go forward. Constantly going forward through the trial, through the circumstance, through the situation. Because the night comes when no man can work. There's going to be a time when we're going to be with him. And he's preparing us to be with him face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12. I'm telling you, that's what he's doing with all of us right now. He is preparing us to meet him face to face. Because when we do, then it's all light. In Revelations 21, verse 24. We won't need the sun, the moon, and the stars to light up our way here in time. Because we'll be in eternity with him who's gonna, who who is the very light of heaven. Would there be a heaven for you and I? Is it that we're going to heaven or are we going to be with Christ? That's our journey. Our journey is not, is not to be in heaven. It's to be with Christ in heaven. Do you ever hear some people say, listen, I don't care about anything else. You know, I don't need a lot of teaching. I just want to, I received and now all I want to do is go to heaven. Are you going to be able to relate to him? Is, is that what he's preparing us for? How to relate properly? with that intimate fellowship that's brought out with the white stone in Revelations 2 and verse 17. So look how many times it says in Genesis, and you can read it, 31 verses, look how many times it's in God said. When God speaks something, is it something that's essential? Can I experience the essence of God, which is essential apart from obedience? And will God bless Where's all our blessing located? It's in Christ. And when I function in the flesh, can can I experience the blessing of who Christ is in me? No. I end up opposing. Who do I oppose? Who do I oppose? God? Others? Do I oppose others? Or am I opposing myself? The only one you can truly oppose, the believer in Christ, is in the flesh, and we're not of it, in Romans 8-9. Constantly teaching us and separating. Constant separation, which speaks of sanctification. Separated. He's constantly separating us from all guilt and condemnation in our experience. Because is that our proper image, our proper position in Christ? Is Christ condemned about anything? Any spots in him? None whatsoever. Not one single spot. Is there any in us in our position? No. Where do we see the spots? Where do I see the spots in others? Where do I see the guilt and shame? Is that who I am in Christ? He's separating that constantly, separating constantly. And we're all so thankful for that, every one of us. So God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. That's the night of his absence. That's John 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is the day. The night comes when no man can work. He's working in us a proper image. Because then there's going to be a time when our time is up. And our time in Psalm 31, verse 15 is in his hand. That's why time is so valuable to us. That's why these times are so valuable. It is. I don't know, why the Word? Why, is it, why the Word every day? Could it be that God is redeeming the time in our lives when we didn't have t- teaching and specific things? Not that we didn't have some. Not that he wasn't faithful. Not that others weren't faithful men of God and, and women in that sense in their proper place where they weren't properly uh, manifesting Christ. Not saying that at all, of course. But God has us in a proper place for that. Now look what it says in verse 5 of John 9. As long as I am in the world, I am what? The light of the world. As long as Christ is lighting me up with a proper experience, who I am in him positionally, he's lighting me up. And I'm on my way right through this world system. Remember, the world is different than the earth. We <laughs> need to know those particular things. He's leading us right through Satan's dark kingdom right now. And you know who his kingdom rules and reigns over. And can he rule and reign over the experience of the believer? He can, as long as we submit to the flesh and resist God. Resist him, right? And that's why it says in James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not. That's capacity and obedience. He's not going to require me to do something Where his grace has not led me already in that obedience up to that point. Because he doesn't bless. He can't bless beyond capacity. But when I know something is true and I resist it, I resist his word, his thought, I resist it through disobedience, then what's my experience? What could it only be? The flesh. And who rules and reigns over the flesh? Certainly not Christ. And it's not who we are. So look how many times God said, right? God said in, in Genesis 1, verse 3. And what God said would separate the darkness from the light. Right? And then God said in verse 6. Verse 7, God said. And what God said, he called in 1.8. And again in nine. and God said. See the separation constantly? And God called and, and then God called. And then, that's verse 10, separation. Then one eleven, God said, now let the earth do this. Let it, look at how the earth obeys him. The planet's in their proper position. The moon pulling the tide back. Is there any resistance? No. And here we are, the height of his creation. In Ephesians 2, 1-10, 2.10 the height of his creation, and do we obey? (laughs) Oh gosh, instant obedience. Even the unfallen angels in his presence in Isaiah the sixth chapter, with that third set of wings, speaks of instant obedience. Instant, listen, capacity, yeah. Instant obedience, what? Instant blessing, why? And the fact that God blesses me has to do with his glory. And I don't want him to be glorified in my submission. I want to resist him. Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Lovingly, continually, lovingly, Father, convict us. All of us. God said in verse 11, let the earth bring forth. He spoke. And look, it comes. See how faithful he is? Even on cloudy days is the sun out, in sunny days, the grass comes up, the cold starts to go away, the warm weather comes in, life springs out. God, he's so faithful. Even in the midst of a fallen world system, how faithful is he to us? Well, everything he saw, he saw in verse 12, it was good. And the evening and the morning were the what? Third day. Would that have anything to do in type? What did Jesus do on the cross when he went in? What day did he rise? Third day. Third day. There's areas where he gives us the the word and he wants us to rise from the dead flesh, that's, that's separated, and rise in who we actually are in our proper image. He so loves us. Gosh, he so loves us. He so loves everybody. And I want to make it clear, and as God makes it clear to me, listen to me, he is no respecter of persons. Listen, he does not have his favorites. We're all equal in that love for each other. We are. He is no respecter of persons. He's just, He just isn't. He's no respecter of persons. Thank you, Lord. And then in verse 14, God said, right? That he would give these lights. And what were they to be? Signs. What's the sign for us? The lights that guide us during the day and during the night. Read Psalm 16, verses 6 and 7. The light of the word that we take in in the daytime as we sleep begins to instruct us in the night seasons. And our sleep is beautiful. We're resting because it's his thoughts. And that's the only place where we can rest. Because he creates the fruit. In Isaiah 57, verse 19, instead of living like unbelievers in 20 and 21, that there will be no peace. Do we, Is Christ our peace in Ephesians 2:14? then why do I not experience it? Because there's areas of ignorance and rebellion in all of us and stubbornness, and God is lovingly dealing with them because everything about us is already complete in Christ positionally. Now he's working it into our experience. And it's a beautiful thing to see and and experience. So there's signs for seasons. In other words, God has specific words for for specific times and seasons of growth. And there may be great growth and we're going forward. There may be seasons where he needs to discipline us, discipline us and, and confront us and love and come after us so that we can continue to go forward. And then there's days and years and then there are lights. We can see it. And so we have those two great lights constantly. We have the sun. Would there be any life, any growth in the material world without light? And that's the sun, right? And we have the sun in type who is our life. That's Christ. And then he ha- and then even the moon at night and the stars can guide us. They're all reflecting the nature and character and essence of our creator. That's Jesus Christ. And so God set them. God made two great lights in 16 and 17. God set them in there in the firmament of heaven to give light upon what? The earth, constantly, constantly giving us light. Here's light, here's where the blessing is, here's where I am, I'm telling you this is who you are. Now just submit, give me your will. My son, give me your heart, your mind, your emotions and let your eyes in Proverbs 23, 26, observe my ways because all my ways are a deep love that you will never come to the end of, in Ephesians 3, in verse 19. And so they rule. So in verse 18, to rule over the day, he gave the sun, and to rule over the night, that's the night seasons when we sleep. We take the word in the day, the day dawns, we receive it in obedience, and then when we do, oh, do we reap the beautiful effects of that obedience. We have peaceful, restful sleep. And we're not, we don't have these random thoughts that are all over the place. We have one, God's word, one full thought, it's Christ. He's working into us in our experience, a proper identity and a proper image. And then he rules and reigns over the day and over the night. And because God divided the light from the darkness, and when he does, you know what he sees? It's good. He sees the good that we are in Christ. He's separating us from that that's not good. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's the flesh. But that which is what? Good. To the use of what? To the profit of what? Edification. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30 through your disobedience. Don't stop the Holy Spirit who's constantly taking Christ and showing him who you are in your experience. Don't grieve him. Don't stop him don't make him wait he's waiting to be gracious instant obedience instant grace instant christ glorified in me instantly me blessed he's waiting in isaiah 30 verse 18 and the evening and the morning were the fourth day and god said let, let the waters bring forth abundantly what life and even in the type he who is abundant life in john 10:10 10, 10 for us 10:10b You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't change the position. It's untouchable in our position. Sin can't even touch that in 1 John 5, 18. But he goes after the experience to steal, to kill, and destroy, to keep the abundant life that Christ is in us, to constantly keep us from receiving grace. Grace is God's addition. Remember, mercy is him not giving us what we deserve to get. That's his subtraction because it went on Christ. So that he can add to us. And not only add to us to do what? Multiply. He wants to multiply our blessing through a proper image. Through glorifying him, the Father, and Christ. Who glorified him in John 13, 31 and 32. That's why Christ in us is the guarantee in Colossians one twenty-seven of a glorious future. And we have to suffer right now. Labor and obedience. We do. In that sense, but thank God, I'd rather suffer in getting into who I am in Christ than in experiencing the suffering of the flesh, because it doesn't profit a single thing. It doesn't. But discipline, learning, obedience—boy, it brings beautiful results when we submit. And so, as we begin to uh, wrap this up, God uh, did all of this. In Genesis, the first chapter. And God created, and he kept creating. And everything was created after his kind. Everything he did was what? Everything that God does is what? Everything he does is through who? Christ. God. Boy, do we have a good image. Boy, do we have a God that loves us. And in verse 22, God blessed them. Isn't that interesting? They functioned in their proper place, Literally, by their very nature, the way that God designed them. The fish, the animals, they just functioned, right? And then what? And God blessed them and said, but, what? Be fruitful. God blesses us, wants to bless us, and multiply the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, in Galatians 5, and 23. All that has to do with the fruit that Christ is. Because without him, in John 15, 1 to 5, what can we do? nothing and the nothing that we function in is what the flesh where there's no profit god bless them saying be fruitful and multiply and fill up the waters fill it up and the evening in verse 23 in the morning we the fifth day fifth day everything that god is doing is grace he's just constantly speaking grace to us he wants to grace us out First with his glory and then through obedience and submission we begin to be blessed. And then the earth would bring forth as a result of obedience just functioning in their capacity what they were. And we see it all the way to when we see finally when we get to this this, uh, first chapter to the end of it. And look what it says. Every single thing. Look how many times God said it was good. God said it was good. God said it was good. And then God made everything he did. And then finally we come. You saw the fifth day. Now what day did he be, what day did he create? On what day did he form Adam from the dust of the ground? What day was that? That was the sixth day. The sixth day was the day that God created Adam. Six is man's number. And we can function. That still six is the old nature. Because we see how he fell in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. We can function in the old nature. Or we can function in the seventh day. Okay? And that's the seventh day. The seventh day is what God finished. Finished in Christ on the cross about us. He created He created man in his own what? Image. In, in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female created him. Did God create Adam to fall? No. But I'll tell you one thing. He created us in Christ. That's the man he had in mind. That's who he has in mind with you and I. In Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If they're good works, who's doing it? In Philippians 2, 12, and 13, it's him, where he's working out our salvation, the fact of our whole Christian life, who we are in Christ through obedience. Through obedience, Work out your own salvation. Can someone, can I do that for you? Can you do it for me? Can anyone else do it? When we reach the age of accountability, can anyone else do that for us? Why would we go to someone else then? If we go, we go in, a, in exchange of fellowship with Christ. If not, why are we? How do we approach each other, in the flesh? In the flesh, any of us. But you see, God created man in His own image, and God said, "I have given." What is? How does God give? By pure grace. He doesn't add to us, through the subtraction, mercy. Mercy, and you know, mercy does away with the with a an unbelievably bad misery. Mercy just does away his tender compassion for us. He has such compassion for us, even what is what do you think his grace is waiting to give us? Even when we're living in a miserable attitude in the flesh, he has tender compassion waiting, and, and instantly my will submits to him instant tender compassion the battle's over (laughs) the battle's over i no longer resist him and so god created him and everything that he did god said in 129 god said behold i have given you every herb bearing seed i've given you everything god has given us everything why would we not submit to him why would we not obey his word and then all the way down, everything that He did, look at verse 30, and it was so. It's exactly the way God designed it. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was what? It was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. But what did he do on the seventh day? After he finished all his works, he rests. He rested, and God rests in his Son. In Zephaniah 3, verse 17. And where do you suppose we rest? In Hebrews 4, verse 3. Is there any rest in resistance to the revealed will of God? There's no rest. Why? It's not a proper image. It's very simple. So we're going to, as we wrap this up, we're just going to jump right to Genesis 35. And remember how we talked about the two natures, the Jacob and Esau, in Genesis 25 and verse 26. And Esau speaks of the, un, 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 the, the person that's not born again. And then you have Jacob, right? Yeah. Jacob is the picture of, of, in type of Romans 8, verse 9. He's born again, but he still has the flesh in him. And that's the constant struggle. The constant struggle. And so we see in Genesis 35, verse 1, look what it says. And God said, he's still speaking. From Genesis, the first chapter. But look even in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning, the word, the word with God. Was that an exchange, a loving embrace of communication between each other? Still saying. God said in Genesis 35, verse 1, unto who, Jacob? God is speaking to us. He's speaking two things to us constantly. This is who you are in my son. Remember his name change in Genesis 32 verse 28? Remember what that name? Huh? Your name will no longer be called Jacob. Listen, listen. If we don't submit to him and who we are in Christ, we know ourselves after a Jacob na- nature. That's who I am. My bad thoughts, my bad feelings, my bad emotions. You know, All these things, this is who I am. No, it's not. That's the separation of the word in Hebrews 4.12. That's what we use in spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit. We need to take it up. The only way we can is through obedience. God said unto Jacob, what? What is he saying to us this morning? Arise. Arise. Song of Solomon 4.7, you're all fair, my love. There's not one spot in you, not one blemish. Song of Solomon 4, verse 8, so start looking from the top. Not from the bottom, but from the top. Not from the bottom, but from the top. Arise. And when we arise in resurrection and life through obedience and the proper experience, what do we do? We continually go where? Up. That's our position. We're seated with him in Ephesians 2, 6. And then to go up to what? Bethel. English says Bethel. He rules Bethel, okay? And Bethel, what's that speak of in type? That's the human spirit. That's why he separates the soul from the spirit in Ephesians four twelve, because that's where the worship is, where God worships. That's what makes us so different than any of, of God's creation because we were created in his image. Nothing else was. Nothing else was created in his image. It's a human spirit. You had to go up to Bethel and what? Stay there, dwell there. That's Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of God, the word of Christ, the word who he is, dwell richly in you in all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Dwell there, dwell there, continually dwell from the top and make there an altar unto God. What's an altar always speak of for us? It's the cross that crucified the old, we function in the new, and an altar always speaks of a self-sacrificial love. And that's what we do in an exchange of worship. Can I have proper worship apart from proper obedience? Did God design us that way? He most certainly did. To make there an altar unto who? Who we make an altar's unto? Flesh? Others are oh God. We make an altar unto God that appeared unto you when you fled from the face of Esau. What does proper worship do? It keeps fear out. Fear of what? Man. The fear of man. What is it? In Proverbs 29, 25, it's always a snare. The fear of man, the fear of the, the flesh and me. It's always fear, not love in First John 4, 18. And so, Dwell there. Make an altar unto him. Because you, you remember what happened when you fled from Esau? And I told you, I led you to a place where, you, where self-sacrificial love and obedience was. And you fled from Esau and how I dealt with you. Then Jacob said unto his whole household. Listen to this. His whole household here. And to all that were with him. Are we with each other? Are we one in Christ? Are we? Are we any different? We may have a different experiential capacity, yes, in growth, but are we all with each other? Truly are we? Are we? Well, then, ja- then Jacob said unto his household, to all that were with him, what? Put away the strange gods, all those lust patterns that appeal to the flesh. In 1 John uh, chapter two and verse sixteen, based upon Genesis three one through six, the fallen nature that still resides in us, no matter what others would say or teach, but we're not of. In, again in Romans eight nine, put away the strange gods. Does that speak of obedience and a submission will, a submitted will? Put away the strange gods that are among you. We do come together. If we're gonna have fellowship, we need individually to respond to the word and to put away these strange, these weird, these crazy God, this flesh. What happens to us? First, first Timothy four, one, in the latter days. Are we in the latter days in human history? A lot, a lot, a lot further on than Genesis the second first and second chapter. A lot further on. In the latter days, some will depart from the faith. You know what the departing of the faith means? Resistance and disobedience to the revealed will of God through his word. That's literally what it says. Some shall depart from the faith. What? What will they do when they do that? Giving heed to what? Listen to what it says. And what is God constantly doing? And the thing that the enemy through the flesh wants us to constantly resist. Just constant, constant, constant. Watch what it says. This is 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. These pages are so thin. (laughs) Now the Spirit, who's the Spirit? Is it God the Holy Spirit? He speaks expressly. How does he speak? How does the Holy Spirit speak expressly? Who is the express exact image of God the Father? In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's God, it's Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit speaks expressly, taking the word to each individual that in the latter time some will depart from the faith. All those teachings that reveal the person and the work of Christ that he's accomplished for each individual in Christ. Giving heed to what? Seducing spirits. Start submitting to strange gods. It's okay if I do this. Well, Is it, is it violating the word of God? Is it violating a proper image? Is it violating the image of Christ in you? Is it? Oh Lord. Well, Give, giving heed to seducing spirits. Huh? Seduction in a marriage relationship. Being seduced from your proper head in a proper order, you're being seduced, and what is it An equal? Adultery. In a spiritual sense spiritual sense, right? Again, read James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Read what it says. And it's not adulterers and adulteresses. It's adulteresses in the original. We go out on him. We submit. Look at what it says. Giving heed to seducing spirits and, and thus doctrines of those strange gods, those demons. What's behind every idol? Everything that we go after that's not of Christ. What's behind it? I mean, is the idol anything itself? The gold or the silver or the stone statue? Or is there some strange God behind it? That's what it says. Get In doctrines of demons, look what it says. Speaking lies in what? Hypocrisy. What does that speak of? Well, Romans 12, 9, for the believer. Stop pretending. Stop pretending that you experience God's love and that you love him. Because we don't in the flesh. But does, he, does it change his love for us? No. What does it do in my experience? How do I know, how do I know that I love God? The only way we can actually know that and experience it is through obedience. It's the only way. And you know what the flesh hates more than anything? To function in another's will the fulfilled will of Christ in John 4, verse 34. Just don't want to do it. We have that flesh in us, and it has a will. And that will is constantly resisting the finished will, the finished work, the finished Christ in us in our proper image. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. God. Having it seared with a hot iron. Cauterized. Carter, fixed in disobedience. I'm not going to change in this area. Carterizing. Nope, not going to do it. Whew. The whole time he's waiting to be gracious. No wonder he has to implement. He has to allow the flesh in Jeremiah 2.19 to correct us. The backsliding. Constantly. Constant struggle. Is that the normal Christian life? I don't know. Is Christ our life in Colossians 3.4? Is he? Is that normal then? Constant, back and forth, back and forth. No, no. So as we wrap this up, back to Genesis 35. Those strange God, put them them away that are among you and be clean. You're clean in your position. How about your experience? Does anything replace purity? Is anything, going to bed at night, having a pure conscience, does anything replace that? Not one thing. Then we have peace and then we can... Rest. And even that, in Psalm 127, verse 2, the bee party gives his beloved sleep. Perfect rest. Based upon the truth of Psalm 16, 6 and 7, the lines are fallen out in pleasant places. We have what a godly, pure heritage. Then my reigns begin to continue to instruct me in the night seasons. He's not even absent in my sleep, in my subconscious, my self-consciousness, and unconsciousness. Well, We're going to wrap it up. Strange gods that are among you, be clean. And look, change your garments. What's changing your garments? Put off the flesh. That's Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Put off those old garments, old areas of disobedience, those old habits. We said, you know, something, uh, old old habits. They really, it's so hard to die to them. No, no, they don't die. They're crucified. (laughs) That's why God had to crucify them. And we will continue to go back to those things. One little area of disobedience not dealt with leavens what affects the whole experience It just does let me tell you he is his love has to confront us be clean change your garments and then let us let us all what arise experience resurrection life and thus have fellowship and go up to where Bethel Bethel Human Spirit God is spirit. In John 4, verse 24, they that worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. Can I do that in disobedience? Is there proper worship? Picture thousands of people worshiping, not knowing areas of the flesh and worshiping. Is it pure? Is it pure? Not that they're not, if they're born again, not that they're not pure in their position, but is their experience pure? And if it's not, what are they giving him? So as we wrap this up, look, let us arise and go up to Bethel, human spirit, separated in Hebrews 4.12. I will, I will, is that the will submitted? Make it there an altar unto God. Where, where does God want the altar? It's in our heart. Treasure it up. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In Matthew 6, verse 21. Have a heart of worship. Proper worship because you're clean. You're clean. That's who you are. That's who I am in Christ, right? And 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 uh, look what it says. And make that. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar unto God. Can you do that for me? Are other people crowding them out? Are they? Could they be? Could I be respecting them in that area and be ignorant and not even respecting who I am in Christ? Well. There make an altar who answered me in the day of my distress. Oh, the day of my distress. The day of my distress. And was with me in the way in which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. Oh, boy. Ooh. And all their earrings which were in their ears. You know, all those things we go after that block obedience. And submission, hearing, is not just hearing it, but submitting. Something got in the way. And so, Father, we thank you as we have to close this right now. Father, we thank you for your word as we continue this in your great love for us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.